Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to the One Organized Moment podcast. My name is Janelle and I am One Organized Mama. In this episode, I'm going to be going over the first of a three-part series for professional organizers. So if you're just thinking of starting a professional organizing business, or maybe you're new to the industry, or maybe you're a seasoned veteran and you just like to hear what some other chick who's been in your shoes is doing, definitely, definitely take a listen. So I wanted to give you just a little bit of a background about me and what inspired these three episodes. So in the summer of 2012, I decided to start One Organized Mama. I had been wanting to do something. I had a full-time job outside of my home, so like my nine-to-five job. And I had three kids. At the time, they were ages 16, nine, and a baby. So they had one under the year, under a year old. And yeah, life was a little insane. And um, again, I wanted just to do something where I had more control and flexibility over my time. And I didn't have to like bid for vacation time and all of that and have to use sick time when the kids were sick. And so I decided, well, I need to do something, but I wasn't quite sure what it was that I wanted to do. I kind of took a look at, well, what was I sort of good good at? What did people sort of say, hey, you're really good at that? And one of those things was you seem to manage your time really well and you're very organized. And so I thought like, huh, light bulb moment. Maybe this is something that I can do for others. So I started to read books and and research and came across this profession, professional organizing. And it actually kind of came to me when I was, we were on vacation um, as a family in California and we were literally walking and it literally kind of just struck me. It like made sense all of a sudden. And I told my husband, I'm going to start a professional organizing business. And he was like, okay, whatevs. And so I came home and again, really jumped into doing my research and decided, yep, I think this is a good fit. And this was pre-podcast days. um, So I was buying every book that I could buy. I was trying to find blogs and there wasn't a lot out there. There was a little bit, but it wasn't like it is today. I mean, today it's absolutely exploded and grown exponentially. So back in those days, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. And so I started to tell friends and family, hey, I'm going to start a business as a professional organizer. If you know of anybody, feel free to give them my name and number. I will go organize their homes for them. How bold of me, right? Well, (laughs) I went to 
I don't know, Target, the container store had just opened here in my city. And I like got this great big bin of organizing supplies and put it in the back of my Honda Pilot, dropped off the kids at school or finished my nine to five job and drove over to a potential client's home because I was going to help organize their home. And this is the first few clients that I had super awkwardly took that big bin out of the back of my car, kind of went up to the door, ring that doorbell and was literally praying inside that they would not answer the door. I was literally like, please, please, please do not answer the door so that I can run back to my car, jump in and just take off and forget this whole thing. But looking back, I'm actually super grateful that they did open the door. They let me in, invited me into their home, invited me very graciously into their space and trusted me to organize their home. And I did. And I'm super grateful that I didn't take my awkward bin of organizing stuff, run back to my Honda Pilot, jump in and screeching tires down the street, drive off. So I went in, I started to organize. I realized, huh, I kind of know what I'm doing here. I felt kind of confident. My confidence grew. People liked me and started to refer me and my business continued to grow. And so that was in July of 2012. And it took um, a little over a year. It wasn't until October of 2013 where I was like, holy smokes, I really have a business here. So I can actually make enough money to quit my full-time job and make that leap. And so that's exactly what I did back then. Now, what does it take to be a professional organizer? This is something I get asked all the time. Well, what I decided to do was when my business was growing, because I went from a one-woman show to hiring a team. And when I hired a team, I needed to train that team. We needed to be on the same page and have consistency. So what I did is I actually created this 10-module program, and that's what these three episodes are going to be focused on. In this episode, I'm going to go over module one and two and kind of go through what it took to be a professional organizer, like what my secrets are, my secret sauce type of thing. And I'm not reinventing the wheel here. It's not like I have some kind of special thing. I'm really going to be very open and honest about what it takes because that's what I did with my team. Because once I had a team, we continued to grow and grow until honestly, I mean, I'll be honest, I just kind of was ready after so many years of doing it to kind of just scale down and focus on just teaching time management and organization. So I get a lot of questions about what does it take? How did you do it? So let's get started on what does it take? The first thing it takes is getting it done right. So straight out of the gates, once I had earned a little bit of money from like doing little side jobs for like my grandma and my aunts and stuff and kind of they were super generous and gave me some extra cash that I could go. I would go down to my local um, business office, business licensing offices in my jurisdiction. And I just simply got a business license. Now, when you go down to get a business license as a professional organizer, they're going to be like, uh, what? Because there's not really a category for us. 
So you'll just want to kind of get something probably in like home services or uh, home-based business type of business license. And the best thing that you can do are utilize whatever resources you have in your area. I don't quote me on this, but I believe every state has a secretary of state website that has a lot of information about businesses. So back in those days when I was doing the research, I came across this because I had no idea that you go to your secretary of state. I've heard of a secretary of state. I don't know what they did. Apparently they do a lot of stuff. And one of those things that they do is like business licensing type of things. So that's where I started. I simply followed the directions on the website and then it directed me to go to my local jurisdiction, like where the business license offices are. And so that's where I went. And I will tell you, all of them have their little handouts and they want some money from you, all of those wonderful little government offices. So it does take a little bit of money to get started as far as that. I also went to the Small Business Administration and I got a mentor through their SCORE program. It's S-C-O-R-E, SCORE. And through their SCORE program, um, they actually had uh, a program where you could sit down one-on-one with a business coach. And it was free. And you were able to sit there and you had so many hours that you could ask whatever questions you wanted. So I definitely utilized that. Now, the next thing that I did is I just called every professional that I knew. I, I contacted like my friends who were like in, in legal professions to ask them questions when I had legal questions. I um, We have a, a wonderful man that helps us with our taxes each year. He was a great resource uh, for me as far as tax information. And I went and I just talked to different insurance companies because I told them, hey, I'm going to be going in people's homes and I want to make sure they are covered and I am covered. How do I do that? So utilize resources in your life. Utilize the different resources. If money is a little tight when starting, like I said, go to, go to your grandma, go to your best friend and say, hey, if I organize your closet for you, like, will you give me some money so I can kind of put it into my business? And that is my best advice is just to really get in and figure out how do you start a business because you probably already know how to do the organizing. The business part is kind of the tricky part for all of us. Now, what else does it take to be a professional organizer? Do you have to get like fancy certifications? Well, honestly, that depends completely on who you ask. In my area, we don't actually have a lot of quote unquote, certification programs or certified professional organizers, but they are out there. And I've been, I've paid for some of the certifications in the past and I just, they weren't the right fit for me. Not that there was anything wrong with them. I know that they can also be a phenomenal resource for you. So you may be able to get leads. You can get a lot of information and a lot of support for your business. So Also check out different certification programs when it comes to being a professional organizer. But one of the most important things that it does take is having a heart with the willingness to help others. I mean, that is a biggie. I did hire people over the year 
the years of, of growing my team where I was like, oh, I don't think that person's really a people person. You kind of have to be a people person for this business. I know we're doing their stuff, but the stuff belongs to a, a human being. So if human beings aren't exactly your thing, then you know what? I'm not 100% sure that this industry is for you because again, you are being invited into people's homes and private spaces and in order to gain their trust, in order to really listen and understand them, you have to have a heart for them. You also have to be able to follow through. In the beginning, when I was new and kind of starting out, I did get hired by some clients who had hired another, maybe professional organizer or somebody said that they could be uh, helpful to them. And so I kind of would show up on the job and there was sort of a half (laughs) organized space that they wanted me to kind of come in and finish. Follow through is very important in this industry. And I'll go over that when I get to the steps. Now, let's talk about creativity for a minute. Now, you don't have to be like a Picasso. You don't have to be writing your labels in calligraphy. But you do have to have a certain level of creativity. And by that, I mean this. You have to be able to sort of look outside of the box, if you will. No pun intended. But you really kind of have to have a different eye to try to figure out some different things and solutions that are going to work for your clients. So again, when I say creativity, I don't mean you have to go out and, you know, have an eye for the prettiest bins or anything like that. You just have to be able to come up with ideas and solutions sometimes in the moment to help your clients meet their goals. Now, the next thing that I want you to consider when it comes to being a professional organizer is know your strengths and know your weaknesses. So putting myself out there here, my weaknesses, my goodness, my weaknesses are a plenty. But one of my weaknesses is this, um, doing Excel spreadsheets. I, I hate when people are like, well, you're organized. Yeah, but I hate an Excel spreadsheet. So I recently hired a virtual assistant. I've been sort of on the hunt for a virtual assistant for some time. Tried out different ones, a lot of wonderful people out there, but just wasn't the right fit. And I finally came across the current virtual assistant that I have. And in fact, today he and I worked together on some projects. I made a list. We did a phone consultation. And in my brain, I thought this will take him like three weeks to do. It took him three hours because in my brain, I was like, you're going to have to watch. I, I literally told him this. So here, this is something that I need you to do. You're probably going to have to go watch some YouTube videos to figure out how to do it on the website because that's what I did. And he had it done in like 23 minutes. So know your strengths and know your weaknesses. And when it comes to a weakness in business, number one, it's okay to admit you have one and to hire or find support for your weaknesses. Again, another weakness of mine is keeping track of expenses. I will not update an Excel spreadsheet or QuickBooks to save my life. Apparently I do it in the 
last hour with the last minute that I have to file my taxes and I'm in a total panic trying to read off receipts and remember like, did I, you know, if there's anything that I'm missing, I am just not good about putting this in a great format for uh, my tax guy. So that is my weakness. So therefore, my virtual assistant helps me with that. So here we are in the middle of 2021. And like, all my expenses are an Excel spreadsheet somewhere because I knew and finally understood I'm not going to do that. I need to find someone who can help me with that. But also, it's important to know your strengths too. And I think that actually did help me in the beginning when I was going out there because I can be kind of bold. I mean, let me, let's face it, like I'm starting, I I do a podcast from my master bedroom closet for heaven's sake, like I can be kind of bold. So (laughs) I went up to those doorbells in the beginning or ring those doors, or excuse me, ring those doorbells at the doors in the beginning with my super awkward bin of stuff. So I can be bold. And so I just kind of, leaned into that in the beginning. And I just said yes, when in my the inside of my brain was screaming no. And I just went with it. And I kind of, to be quite honest, I was just kind of I faked it until I made it. So just kind of know your strengths, know your weaknesses. If you're not so bold, and you're really good at Excel spreadsheets, let me tell you, there is definitely room for you in this industry too. All right. The last thing that I want you to know about what it really takes to be a professional organizer, and you hear me harp on this a lot, is this. I want you to let go of perfection. You have to let go of it. I saw it so many, so many different times. Perfection is so subjective. Like what your idea of perfection is, is not another person's idea of perfection. And I know for perfectionists out there, I go round and round with some of them. I have some of them in my personal life that they really believe they're perfect. And I just have to agree with them and say, okay, I believe you're perfect. And I agree with you that you're perfect. Even though inside my head, I don't really think you're that perfect. And I've gotten into it on social media with people who say, so you're saying I don't exist because I am perfect. And I'm like, well, you do you. I am talking to my people out there who need to let go of perfection and who are willing to let go and understand, again, that perfection is kind of a lie. Perfection doesn't really exist. And it's okay to sort of let it go. And it's okay not to be perfect. Because if you're working for a client, trust me, there are many times I'm like, this is a freaking best job I've ever done. I cannot believe I made this closet look like this. And then the client comes in is like, "Mm, let's move this stuff over here. I think it would look better over there. And if I held on to this idea that nope, my way was just perfect, then I mean, that would be crushing. So I had to let go of any kind of ideas like that. And I really have an attitude and I had an attitude when I brought clients in. I was like, hey, here's what I did. Feel free to change it. It's your space. It has to make sense to you. And instead of holding on to this idea that I was right, I was right, I was right. And so let go, let it go. Trust me on this. And that brings me over to my very, 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 very last point on this little area is don't let this be your identity. And I think that so many people do in this industry, like 
they are the blah, blah, blah organizer. And I certainly face it. And I have, still have a lot of people that will come to my house and be like, well, you, you call yourself one organized mama, but I saw underneath the sink in your downstairs bathroom and it didn't look that organized to me. I still have those people in my life. And I'm like, you know what? I'm allowed to just be Janelle at home. I'm allowed to have my kids have their own home and share it and my husband. And none of them are calling themselves one organized anything. So it's okay to just let that be your job and to be very picky too. who you bring into your own personal space. If people are going to be hypercritical of you, just kind of leave them outside of your circle. But certainly don't hold it on to this as your identity. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be organized all the time. One of the things when we were doing our network with our professional organizers, we joke that you'd go to someone's house and they would have this beautifully organized closet and bedroom. And then you would go to your own house and you had 12 piles of laundry that still needed to be folded sitting on your couch. And so it's kind of like that thing, like the the car mechanic who has like the broken down vehicles in your front yard. It just kind of is. Sometimes when you do something as a profession, you just need a break from it when you get to your own home. So allow yourself to have that break and don't be your worst critic. Don't judge yourself so harshly and keep those judgy wedgy critics at bay and stuff in your life. There's no room for them. So let's talk about the basics. Let's talk about, you know, what it is that we do as professional organizers. Well, the first thing that we do is we organize, right? So what does it mean to organize? So I did not reinvent the wheel here. So this is not like proprietary. This isn't like something that other organizers don't do. Essentially, this is something that we all do. There's always catchy and trendy phrases that go along with what we do. But what I did was when I was creating the the modules for my um, team back in the day, I kind of had to take like a bird's eye view. So I had to kind of float above and be like, what do we do? Like, obviously we do a process, but what is it? Well, it's this. Number one, we declutter and sort. Number two, we create a zone. Number three, we label and contain. And number four, we should be teaching and maintaining. There's definitely this misunderstanding out there that like once a space is organized, it's forever organized. Well, that doesn't happen if human beings interact with that space. That space will get disorganized. You will go shopping and you will add more stuff to that space. You will have other people walk into that space and bring stuff or put stuff down or mess stuff up. So how do we sort of maintain our spaces? So it's not just like organizations on a one or done type of thing. It's a continual process. And so I have these four steps in a loop. So remember when we were talking about the follow through, and that can be a big problem in this industry, someone will be bold like me and say, yeah, I can do that job. And then they are in the midst of piles of stuff in a client's garage and they're like, holy crap, I just need to get out of here. I'm just going to put this stuff back in bins. I'm going to slide them over and I'm going to tell her I got a call from my kid's school and they need to go pick up my kid and I will never answer my phone again. 
And so, I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating, but not really. And so what does it mean to do follow through? So this is really what I taught my team because we found ourselves in these situations sometimes. For instance, we had one client who was a professional athlete. And so they had four different homes that they were combining into one home here in Las Vegas. And this is when we were like on our A game. This is when it worked beautifully because we had different shipments. So moving companies were dropping off different shipments of uh, boxes from their home and wherever, wherever, wherever. And they were dropping them off here. And so this was like a two-month project because we had to kind of go through. This was their dream home that they had built here in Vegas and go through these boxes and really have an understanding for who they were and how they lived and how they wanted their home. And we did that with this process. So number one, declutter and sort. So we kind of went through the process and this is really where you want your client to be very involved. And one tip that I suggest when it goes when it comes to decluttering and sorting is when you have a client involved, use signs. So use keep, trash, sell, shred, donate, recycle, whatever. Write it out um, and use signs to help direct your clients. So you're kind of like handing them the items and then you're going through them pretty quickly. And I also want you to make sure you're going through the sorting process pretty quickly. So you don't want your clients to spend a lot of time making a decision (laughs) and they'll tell you stories and it's wonderful. Let me tell you, I love to hear people's stories, but after, if I know I'm only there for four, five, six hours and I know they're paying me, I'm like, hey, kind of have to keep things moving a little bit and stuff. So when in doubt, keep, when in doubt, keep. So that's kind of how you want to sort of keep things moving along. So go through declutter and sorting. Use physical signs that keep everybody um, on track because I tell you, someone will think that's the declutter pile and they'll put keep there. And then you're going to be in a panic when the next day you took all that stuff to donation and they're like, hey, where's my grandmother's antique? Da, 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 da. And you're like, oh, crap. That was something that I put in the donation bin. So it's really, really um, smart to use signs, physical signs that keep everybody on track. Now, create a zone. Step number two, what's this? This is where everyone's talking about space planning. So that was sort of the catchphrase, kind of is space planning. Right now it's edit. Everyone's talking about edit. Um, so just where is stuff going to go? Where does it fit? So for instance, when we're doing declutter and sort, if like, for instance, they have 82 sweaters and they live in a teeny tiny condo with no storage space, I'm going to have my client kind of do say, hey, where are we going to put these? Well, on the shelf of my closet, they don't all fit. Let me show you. So you're going to kind of say, here's your sweater zone. Here's the space where we're going to put your sweaters. You have way more sweaters that are that can fit here. So we're going to, we need a zone. So this is where you want them. So your client will either say, well, then I still need to keep these And you need to be creative to find another spot for them or a plan for them or have your client really do a secondary purge and pare down a little bit. So create a zone is simply where are you going to put the stuff? Every item 
in their home needs a place that it belongs. So every item in their home has a home. All right, number three, label and contain. Do not spend a lot of time on this. Do not get crazy. Do not skip ahead and do this before you know where your zone is going to be. So let's go back to the sweater. So say you're like, oh, I saw during my assessment that they have like 82 sweaters. I'm going to go ahead and go buy some bins. I saw some really cute ones, blah, blah, blah. And then you go and you spend the money. And then they end up paring down to like 12 sweaters that fit perfectly in their zone. So do not jump ahead. There's a reason this is step number three, label and contain. Not everything needs a container. Not everything needs a label. Don't get crazy with them. Labels and containers take some maintenance. They take a lot of work. They can be very pricey. They can be very time consuming to put together. So I really want you to make sure that you've really consulted with your client and it makes sense for them. Like don't put the, you know, the labels on the jars that say craisins because I promise you as mom, one day they'll hate craisins after you've bought like the Costco size bag and now they're just into like regular raisins and you have the label that says craisins on them. Craisins are cranberry raisins, by the way. All right. So don't go crazy with label and contain. And when you do go to purchase containers, measure, measure, measure. Take your pen and paper, take your measuring tape, measure their spaces. I am telling you from personal experience, it'll save you six trips to the store of having to return products because you forgot to measure their space. All right. And again, teach and maintain. Again, like I just said, I kind of went over this. A, A space needs to be constantly maintained in order for it to remain organized. Again, you can be creative. I would put little reminders in their side. They're like behind their closet door or inside a cabinet door just to kind of help them remember where stuff went or little tips and tricks to help them maintain their space. Now, let's talk about tools a little bit. This was something that we covered in module one. What are tools? Well, tools are the items that we use to get organized. These are the tangible items. These are the labels, the bins, the baskets, the hangers, all of those things that we use to get organized. Now, a tip for you. Again, when it comes to labels and containers, make sure before you invest that you and your client are on the same page about who is going to purchase what. Do not assume that your client hired a professional organizer and that they automatically know that they're paying for the the $312 bill from the container store. Do not assume that because you will get stuck with that bill. So again, make sure you follow the process. Make sure it's very clear on what you provide for your client. It's really great to have like a, a brochure or handout and then have a clear understanding of what your client is going to, to pay. And a lot of times I would, while I would do shopping, just t- simply take photos and say, hey, I just found these. Are these going to work for you? They're this much do you, it'll take about six of them. Do you want to pay X amount of dollars for these containers? 
Now, the next thing in module two that I talk about, I used to call this techniques. I now call them habits. This is, so tools are what we use. Habits is what we do. And this is something that, again, with step number four, teach and maintain, something that I really want you to emphasize with your, with your clients. And communication is key. In order to have a successful session and organize someone's house, you have to communicate to your clients. So before, I encourage all professional organizers to do an in-person assessment. I promise you, you won't regret it. It sounds like a pain in the butt because you're going to have to probably drive far away from your house and go meet somebody and just to walk through and be like, yeah, I can organize this space. But I promise you when you do an assessment, there'll be times where you're like, oh, they didn't tell me about this stuff. This is your opportunity to number one, have the client interview you. Number two, which is really number one, part A, you interview the client because there are times that I would go and I would meet a client and be like, "Uh uh-uh, this is, there's no way I'm going to be able to work with this personality. Like this is someone who I just know me and you know what, I don't, maybe they're like, for instance, someone who speaks very rudely, like we had an instant where We had a client and she had um, someone helping her clean her house and she spoke very rudely to this person, spoke down to this person. And I thought, that's going to be me. And I don't do well with that. So this was my opportunity. Very thankful that I was able to go out, see what I would be potentially dealing with and be able to say, you know what, my calendar's actually booked and move on and not take the job. But also... A lot of times people will throw around like, oh, my spouse is a hoarder and it's kind of hard to judge. And sometimes you go there and you're like, ha ha ha, this is nothing. This is cleaner than my house. And then other times you're like, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, I got it. And so super grateful again. And it kind of helps you mentally prepare because again, this is a very physically, emotionally and mentally challenging job sometimes. And when you really go in and you can see things with your own eyes, you can kind of get a feel and it'll help you better with the communication and understand sort of what their habits are and what you can do to help your client. Now, during, during the session is very important. I want you to be able to communicate during the assessment before how the session is going to go. And you want to reiterate that as soon as you arrive for the session. So as soon as you show up, kind of go over the game plan and make sure that your client and you are on the same page. At the end of your session, I want you to kind of reiterate what you've gone through. Because sometimes, especially if the client's not super involved, you'll get a text or a phone call and be like, so what exactly did you do today? Well, for the four hours that you were here and you're like, Oh, <laughs> well, I went through da, 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 da. So it's actually good to address that before you leave their house and kind of show them this is what was done. And again, it'll sort of give you an opportunity to get some of their feedback. Like, is this going to work for you? Does this make sense for you? Do you like this? And it's okay, again, 
let them know. Like, if you don't like it, please let me know. I want you to be happy. They, they know and they're going to understand that you are not a mind reader. And if you are willing to communicate with them again, it's going to help you learn what their habits are, what they like, what's going to make their life easier. Now, after the session, this is where we call homework. And a lot of times, a lot of our clients don't do our homework. But I will say if homework is something that you're assigning a client, just keep it very simple. For instance, I would just take one bin and put a, a, a note, a post-it note on and say, could you just declutter this bin? Like the items you don't want, put them in this bag. I'll take them to donations and whatever you want to keep, just keep in the bin. I'll handle it tomorrow. So keep things very simple with your clients as far as communication And again, try to work with them in the habits that they already have, but maybe encouraging them in a very simple and easy to follow way of habits that they can implement into their life. Like just, again, decluttering one bin at a time is a great start. All right, moving on to module two. This is more about business practices and managing your client's expectations. So first, I want you to know, what are we talking about? Professional organizing. I want you to note the word professional. I want you to act like a professional. I want you to be a good listener. I want you to be on time. And for on time, I mean, if you have a session you promised your client you would be working at 9 a.m., Get there at 8.45 or 8.50 and start the job at 9 a.m. Be fair to your client. Don't steal your client's time. I want you to be prepared. I want you to be knowledgeable, respectful, honest, helpful, and for heaven's sake, be organized. Be efficient work quickly. Again, work with the basic steps, the four basic steps and go through. Work in one small area at a time. That'll make it the biggest bang. Don't leave your client with a ton of piles and different things like that where they're like, yeah, I hired a professional organizer. And then their neighbor comes over and they're like, it doesn't look like they did a great job. So you definitely want to make sure again that you do those things that, that follow through. Start small, Start on like maybe one section at a time. That way, even though the rest of the room might be a little bit messy, at least they can go back and say, okay, I see the progress and I can see where you're going. But again, what defines a professional organizer is the word professional. You have to act like a professional. You don't have to be perfect, but these are all things that you can do. So let's go over some of the do's and the don'ts real quick. I want you for the dues, we're going to start there to arrive on time. And again, before the session. And again, generally speaking, you're probably charging either hourly or you're charging per session. So if you're promising your client, say a four hour session, which is what we did here. So we charge for one organizer, $199 for a four hour session. And that session was from 12 to four. My organizers were working starting at noon. So you want to walk in with enough time to, again, communicate with your client and make sure that they know what's going to be happening. Make sure that nothing has changed or they don't have a different project in mind for you and be ready to work. I do 
want you to have like a consistent uniform. And that's completely up to you. At one point, I spent a lot of money on um, t-shirts. And I one thing I realized about the t-shirt industry, <laughs> that when I had a team, I thought, oh, we'll put these t-shirts. Number one, my logo is very expensive. It has apparently like five or six colors. And just little things like t-shirts, like putting the logo on the placement of the t-shirt itself. My team were all women at the time and they all wanted a female cut t-shirt. And then it was like, where to put the logo? And then logo, because it had so many colors, it came down to all I could afford were two t-shirts per organizer. And it was in the hundreds of dollars. So I just, nobody wanted to wear a big bulky t-shirt. And so I just was like, you know, after that, forget it. So try to have a uniform look. And so you don't need to go out and purchase uniforms. Towards the last few years of my career, I actually just wore black. Black worked well. And sometimes it was um, usually black leggings that fit really well and a black t-shirt or black long sleeve shirt, black tennis shoes. And it just kind of felt comfortable where I could climb, I could bend down, I could carry stuff. Yeah, dust showed on it, but it was easy enough to wipe off. Um, Again, going back to the t-shirts, I learned white is what I chose for the t-shirts again, probably because they were inexpensive. It was just inexpensive to choose white and white show everything. So kind of have a uniform look and be very mindful about how you present, especially if you're really trying to go for more affluent communities. Um, You kind of almost just want to blend in. Like you definitely don't want to stand out. You just want to sort of blend in. um, And so that your work shows and that you're not kind of standing out in your client's homes. I also on the do list have, I want you to have a plan and keep your client on track. Sometimes when our clients call us, and I can admit I can be like this too, like if I have someone like for instance, my virtual assistant, I've had to learn, I would give him like 42 different tasks in the beginning that were like all over the place. And, you know, he is really good about like, hey, you need it. This is where we're going to stay right now. This is what I have time to do today. So this is where we're going to kind of be. And so it's okay for you to do that with your clients. They are there or you are there because they have hired you to be the expert and to follow your lead. And so it is important to keep them on track. Even if your client is one who's really kind of taking the lead and they're really hiring you to be the assistant, again, you kind of, it is your job to sort of help them, assist them, keep them on track. Now, let's talk about a few of the don'ts real quick. Do not overuse your cell phone. I have kids, so I just, I am a nervous Nelly and I like to have my cell phone on because if I haven't if I just think like if my cell phone's off and the school's trying to get a hold of me or something, I kind of panic. So I didn't completely have a rule that you had to have your cell phone off when I had a team, but I was very mindful of it. Now, I also like to listen to music and podcasts when I'm organizing. So I kind of felt out the client. And if I wasn't sure, I certainly asked. And I think I had every single client say, yeah, of course, listen to a podcast or turn on some music or whatever you want to do. But I was very mindful of not being on my phone a lot. 
And I know that as a professional organizer, you're probably wearing a lot of different hats and you're probably fielding text messages and calls and you don't want to miss clients. Just be very mindful of it. Just sometimes if you let someone know, a potential client know that you're with another client, they will usually really respect that and say, hey, I'm done here at 3 p.m. I will call you as soon as I get to my car. And a lot of times they are like, awesome, that works for them. So be very mindful of your cell phone use. Now, let's talk about the clothing again. Do not wear flip-flops or sandals. Flip-flops in general, I'm just going to put it out there, don't scream professional. Like if you show up in someone's house in flip-flops, I'm usually not like, hey, that's a professional. Be mindful of that. Does that mean you can't wear sandals? No, you can, you know, I mean, use your best judgment. A lot of times when I showed up to an assessment is where I would dress a little dressier, like nice jeans, a nice top, maybe some like cute strappy sandals. And that was completely appropriate. I didn't dress in a business suit for an assessment, but I was very mindful of not wearing sandals and flip-flops into clients' homes. And I'm going to be really honest with you about this one for a few reasons. Number one, it could be a safety hazard. I promise you, you're going to say, well, they're going to have me work in their home office. I can wear flip-flops or sandals. And you go there and they're going to have you in their basement, in their attic, or in their garage. And I don't care what part of the country you live in, there's pests and bugs in these different places. So your client could change their mind on you at the last minute and say, hey, I actually decided the weather's great. Let's work in the garage today and you have sandals on. The other thing to be very mindful about is you sometimes have to take off your shoes in people's homes. And if you're wearing sandals, sometimes it's a little strange and odd to walk around in someone's home barefoot. Um, Some people are totally fine with it, but I just was very respectful. And I actually, at some point, gave my team socks, like these grippy socks, because we did have quite a few clients where shoes were not allowed to be worn inside their homes. So I always kept a pair of like grippy socks in my organizing bag. And I only use them for when I went to client homes. Now I use them for when I go to the airport and I walk through security and I don't have to be really like ugh, walking through uh, TSA. But just be mindful of this kind of thing. And again, being really honest, if you do or ask to take off your shoes in someone's house, or your feet a little sweaty or stinky, just be mindful of that kind of thing. Trust me from personal experience. All right. Now, the last don't that I want you to really focus on is do not cancel last minute on your clients. Be respectful of their time. Be respectful of other people's time, period. There is nothing worse, and we've all been in that situation where we were ready for somebody Maybe we rearranged our own schedule, took time off from work, paid a babysitter, only to have someone cancel on us last minute. And this is something that, I mean, you want to get really, I just would get very frustrated um, with my organizers about as if they canceled last minute, kind of meant they were nearing the end of the road with me. 
and that maybe they were just kind of facing a little bit of burnout. So just be very mindful of that. Your clients have probably made a lot of arrangements for you to be there. And it again, it's not very professional to cancel on them last minute. So let's talk about assessments. Because in module two, we're really talking about managing client expectations. And one of the best things that you can do in managing your client expectations is this, do an assessment. And there's a few reasons why I really, really encourage this. And a lot of organizers I noticed just really don't like to do them. But I'm telling you, do an assessment because like I said before, this is an opportunity for you to interview them as much as they are interviewing you. I want you to be able to see the project firsthand, and that means opening cabinets, drawers, closets. I would always do this technique where I would just put, simply put my hand on a door or a cabinet and say, do I have your permission just to, to open this and look in? I just want to be able to have an idea of how much stuff is in the home because it was I was able to then give them a pretty good idea of how much time it would take. Also, this is your opportunity to go over the timeline, the pricing, and the process. So whatever your process is in organizing, this is your opportunity. You could even do something like a tiny little miniature five-minute session. Like, let me show you how this is going to work and just take a few minutes to sort of go over that with them just to see, again, if it's a good fit for you or not. But... One of the reasons that I want you to do an assessment is this, because this has come up with all of the different professional organizers, almost all of them that I've spoken to. How do you ask for money? How do you ask your client to pay you? This can be done face-to-face in the assessment before it comes time, because there's nothing worse when you are, have finished a job and you did everything and you're like, hey, let me walk you through. And they're like, okay, great thanks for helping. And you're like, okay, I don't know how to ask for money right now. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Do an assessment. Do an assessment. And then when you're going over the timeline and the process, you can say, so in the last 15 minutes, I'm going to go over my progress for the day. As I'm bagging up the trash and taking out the donations, it'll give you enough time to gather whatever form of payment that you have, I accept, cash, check, credit card, whatever forms of payment you accept. And then we can handle payment at that time and schedule your next session. And so just make it part of the thing. That way you're not being put on the spot on how to ask for payment. And I'm here to tell you, collect payment either after every single session or if they're buying a bulk of hours after that first session, the end of the first session, collect payment. So again, you just, it's awkward for you. It's awkward for the client. I don't want it to be. So that is the, one of the biggest reasons why I want you to do an assessment. All right. Last and not least, but the best, let's talk about some of these strange situations that have come up. So I have just a few here we'll talk about real quick. Number one, when you're in a client's home and they start crying, what on earth do you do? Well, you're probably, because you're in this industry, you're probably a people person 
and you really want to kind of talk and love on them and, and nurture them maybe and hug them or you're like, oh, super awkward. I don't know what to do. You kind of have to do a little bit of both. Here's how you handle my best advice for handling a, cry, a client who started to cry is you stop talking. So like just kind of like quiet the situation. You don't want to bring like awkward attention to it. Maybe get them a tissue and you don't really want to do like a full-blown hug. Sometimes this is this gets kind of awkward and can cross some boundaries, but it's actually okay just to sort of maybe place your hand on their shoulder and just say, here's a tissue. I'm going to give you just a few minutes. A lot of times what happens, they'll kind of gather themselves and say, no, no, let's keep going. I want to keep going. And it kind of just, you just pick up where you left off and you keep going. Don't address it. Um, sometimes they might need to end the session or sometimes they just need a moment to kind of share something. Maybe they've come across an item that was from a, a, a loved one that they've lost. So maybe give them just an opportunity just to share that with you and then very gently sort of have them continue and guide them back onto the organizing process. The next thing that comes up are controversial items. And this can range. And man, have we seen it. So two of the most controversial items that come up were um, firearms that people have strong reactions to or personal use drugs like marijuana, for instance. A lot of people have very strong issues about them. So if you've been invited into someone's home and you've encountered something that's very controversial or you have very strong feelings of it is none of your business, period. It is none of your business. Do not bring attention to it. Do not make it awkward for your clients. Maybe that's where you realize this is the end of the road. My values do not align with this person's or whatever it is. It's okay for you again to say like, hey, this is the end of the road. I'm not going to be working with this client anymore. But just to avoid very awkward or confrontational situations. Just keep the session moving until the end. And I've certainly encountered this before where I've been in a strange situation. I finished out and then I just asked for payment. And then that was the end of the road for, between me and the client. The next thing that I want to talk to you about is the most important. And that is if you're in a situation that feels really kind of awkward or strange I can only say this actually happened, well, it happened a few times, but once where I was like, oh, I really didn't know the client and it was an assessment and it was just the little hairs on the back of my neck kind of stood up. I left the situation immediately. And that's what I want you to remember. You don't have to people please. You don't have to ever put yourself in a situation that could potentially be unsafe or cause harm to you. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where your instincts are screaming, this doesn't feel right, then get out. But I certainly want you to always let someone know where you're at, give them the name, the information. And lastly, make sure you're doing really, really good telephone consultations before you go out to someone's house. You can find out a lot from someone through a phone call. So if someone that's a complete stranger has reached out to you and wants to do business and have you meet them at their home at your their home, 
to do some work as a professional organizer, I really want you to be very careful, do your due diligence, make sure you really ask a lot of questions. And if there is ever something that just doesn't feel right, trust me, it's not worth the risk of potentially putting yourself in harm's way. So simply just say, you know what, I don't have any time on my calendar. Call me back in a month, two, three, whatever. Kind of push them off. And it's okay to push them off continuously. So all of that being said, stay tuned for the next episode of this three-part series where we go through modules three, four, and five. And we'll continue on, or excuse me, three, four, five, and six, actually. And we will continue on and talking about what it's really like to be a professional organizer and give you more insight into this industry. Until then, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One Organized Mama podcast. Don't forget to go over to Instagram. Give me a follow at One Organized Mama and my website. Go see what I'm doing over there at oneorganizedmama.com.